following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles. Luke chapter 2 this morning is where we're going to be. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, we are in our third week of Advent, and you can see that we've lit our third candle. The pink one is lit today. Um, The pink candle symbolizes joy and celebration. It's actually a a, a transition in the Advent season from lament to celebration, from sorrow to to joy, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the theme of joy. You know, in in the Declaration of Independence, probably the the most famous phrase in the Declaration of Independence beyond we the people is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is in the American DNA that happiness should be sought after and it's something that we should seek. But what's interesting is if you do a quick search around our world, you have to ask the question, why are people so very unhappy? A simple Google search, which I did this week in my sermon prep, for a couple phrases that just came in my mind, how to be happy, search that phrase, popped up 4.4 billion hits. The question, why am I not happy, got me 5.1 billion hits. These simple searches reveal something about us, that happiness is the goal, but we fall way short of that goal. But what's also interesting about happiness and joy, it's something that might surprise us. God actually desires these things for us to be found in him. He created us for these things. We're even commanded in the Bible a few times, which we'll talk about more this morning, to rejoice always. So the question is, why don't we? And why are we always in the pursuit of lasting happiness and joy, yet seeming to never find it? And that's what I hope we're going to see this morning, that God has made a way for us to be eternally joyful. We're going to see, Lord willing, that we can't have eternal joy without Jesus Christ. That's that's the hope this morning. So if you're new with us, you should have got an outline when you walked in the door. And on that outline, there's a big idea. And here's the big idea. This will come up on the screen a few times today. The big idea that we're hoping to see today is this. Jesus' birth is the dawn of eternal joy for all who put their hope in him, their trust in him. Jesus' birth is the dawn of eternal joy for all who put their trust in him. Literally, we're going to see that Jesus came so that you and I might have joy in this life and in the next. That's what we hope to see today. Now, now as we look at this today, we're going to look at four points, and these are in your outline as well. We're going to look at the origin of joy. We're going to look at the loss of joy, the coming of joy, and the pathway to joy. And what I want to do is I want us to see that this eternal joy can only come from an eternal God. And his joy is something that we can all experience in this life and in the next. That's what I hope we'll see this morning. So stand with me and let's read Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. Luke 2, 8 through 14. We stand here because we want to honor God's word as we read it. This is the reading of God's word. It is inspired. It is true. It is God-breathed. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I'll read it. You can follow along with me. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning to bless the preaching of your word, that you would turn our gaze to the only source of lasting joy. We pray that you'd open our eyes to Jesus. We pray that you would create in us a sense that we need Christ and turn our hearts and our gaze and our treasure to Christ. And Lord, for these things to happen, you, you have to work in us because we, we can't make that happen. So help us today. Open the eyes of our hearts to see and know and treasure and trust in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, this text in Luke is that moment when the famous shepherds were doing their work and the angels showed up to tell them about Jesus' birth. And I want to draw your attention to just three verses, verses 10 through 12. And I want you to notice something that they say. They say, I bring you, he says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And notice that the good news of great joy is Christ the Lord being born in the city of David and that they would find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. So the question that we really want to attack this morning, the question that we really want to get answered is this question. Why is Jesus, why is his coming good news of great joy for all the people? That's the question we want to attack this morning. Why is this? Why is this Good news of great joy for all the people. And to understand that, we've got to start with the first point, the origin of joy. Now, if you know your Bible or you've been around church very long, um, if not, uh, then this will be new to you. But the Bible talks about God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are three persons, yet they are one. They are perfect in unity. They're perfect in love. They're perfect in essence. They are three because they have three different jobs, yet they are one perfectly together in purpose, in counsel, in mind, and in will. This is one of the great mysteries of the Bible, that the Godhead, three in one, can be three, yet one. But what you may not know about the Godhead or the Trinity is that in the Godhead, they are perfectly satisfied, perfectly happy, and perfectly full of joy. We know this from what the Bible tells us about their working relationship and what it tells us about what's going on in heaven even now as we are on the earth. Psalm 16 verse 11 tells us very clearly that in God's presence is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So just for a moment, as you are seeking joy in your life, realize That in heaven, in the throne room of heaven, in the presence of God, is the apex of all lasting joy right now. 
1 Timothy 1 verse 11, Paul made an interesting statement. He said something true about the gospel. But notice what he said about the gospel. He said it's the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. This word blessed is another word we could translate into satisfied, full of joy, eternally happy and fully satisfied in who he is. In Paul's mind, God is happy, full of joy, and that's connected to his glory, and the gospel is how you get there. We also know from the Genesis account that when God created the world, we read in Genesis chapter 1 that he created it after he was done, he said it was very good. Day after day, he created stuff, and he said it was good. Meaning that God took great joy and delight and happiness and satisfaction with what he created. Don't think for one moment that when God created the world, he suddenly thought, oh no, I've made a mistake. It's not how he works. God created the world and said, it is very good. And we see the joy in the relationship between the members of the Godhead, between the father and son, when Jesus came to earth. In John chapter 4, The disciples are having an interesting discussion with Jesus after he met the woman at the well. They ask him, are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? And Jesus says to them, basically, I have food to eat of which you know nothing about. And here's what he said. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. What that means is Jesus found his absolute satisfaction, joy, and delight in doing what God had sent him to do. Now, from these brief texts that we've just shown up on the screen, and believe me, there are many, many, many more texts, we find something fascinating. In the Godhead, we find the source of everlasting joy. In other words, in God, we find the origin of joy. God is the author of joy. God is full of joy. Inside the heart and mind of the Godhead, We find eternal joy. We find eternal happiness. We find eternal satisfaction. You could say that God is the happy God who is the fountain of joy. Now this is really important because we understand from Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 that God made us humans in his image. Now this means after understanding that God is full of joy... Knowing that God made us in his image means he made us to be full of joy. Our joy in the Genesis account was was found in being made to represent God on the earth as joy-filled creatures. No other creature that God has made on the earth has this ability to have joy like God and joy in God. The Godhead is the fountain of joy and made us to be filled with the joy found in the Godhead. So when you understand the origin of joy, you understand how God made you to be living in joy. You also think of something fascinating. This means that the universe would be filled with joy even without humans in it. Let let that settle in on your pride just a moment, that you think you're really a big deal and you're kind of the center of the universe, right? Especially this morning when your coffee pot wasn't working, right? Or your children were out of line. And you think things need to go your way. Don't forget the Bible does say that we are but a vapor. That we will return to dust. But the universe 
is full of joy because the God of the universe is full of joy. Meaning that in the Godhead, there is absolute joy and satisfaction in God. See, God did not make man because he was lonely and needed a friend. He didn't make man because there was a hole in his joy bucket that needed to be filled. God made man, made us, so that we might experience his joy, have a relationship with the living God, and that we would live for his glory, not him living for our service. God is the origin of joy. So the question we have to ask is, okay, if God made us this way, what happened? Why why are so many people searching for how to be happy? And why are so many people not happy? Well, let's look at the loss of joy. Now, if you've been with us in our Advent series, what we've done basically is this, is we've given you what's called biblical theology. Biblical theology is a 30,000 flyover of major themes in the Bible to help you see from beginning to end how the Bible all works together. And you've also noticed in this series that Genesis 3 is a watershed moment for humanity. It's in that chapter that Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit, ate it, and sinned against God. And this moment, guilt entered the world for the first time. Conflict with God from humans between us and God entered the world for the first time. And with it, using the theme of joy, we could say loss of joy entered the world for the very first time. It's the first time sorrow entered the world. The first time pain entered the world. Now here's what we can, here's how I want you to picture this. The bridge to eternal joy, or for those of you who are Avenger fans, the bifrost to eternal joy is our relationship with God. Sin shattered that bridge. So what was lost was our ability to have the lasting joy of God and lasting joy in God. We could put it this way. Joy is lost when sin enters the room. Now you see this in Genesis chapter 4. You see it clearly in verses 3 through 5. Cain, Adam and Eve's oldest son, born in the sin of his father, gave a vegetable offering to God that God did not accept. While Abel, the second son, born in the sin of his father, gave an animal offering to God, which God accepted. Now, you can notice very clearly what we're told about Cain. He became angry, and his face fell. It's the first time this phrase is used in the Bible. That that phrase, face fell, in our modern vernacular, would mean he lost joy, or he was depressed. We hear those terms used all the time in our particular world. Notice what led Cain to his face falling or his lack of joy. It was his broken relationship with God and his disobedience to God. And notice God's remedy for Cain in verses 6 and 7. Cain, do you not know that if you give the right offering, you'll be accepted? You won't be angry anymore? In a sense, what God is saying to him is, Cain... You give the right offering. You obey me. You would be right with me. Your face would no longer be fallen. 
Or to put in the positive, Cain would be accepted by God and he would be full of joy for obeying God and being made right with God. But notice what he says about sin. Cain, sin is crouching at the door. It wants to dominate you. It wants to rule over you, but you must rule over it. And we know from the story, don't we, that Cain did not master his sin. Rather, Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. And if you know the story of Cain, you're going to find Cain was one of the saddest humans on the face of the earth in the Bible. See, this little story that we so often talk to our children about don't be jealous, don't be angry, that leads to bad things, actually shows us something fascinating. Joy is lost when sin enters the room. See, when Adam sinned in the garden, the dominion of sin over the human heart entered with it. And in that moment, we lost favor, the favor of God toward us. We, were, we lost acceptance from God. We lost approval by God. The joy that filled our hearts was shattered because of sin. In other words, everything was lost. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. <clears throat> I have heard of a minister who once said that a Christian lost nothing by his sin and then added, except his joy. Well, what else would you have him lose? Is not that quite enough? To lose the light of my father's countenance? To lose my full assurance of my interest in Christ? To lose my best and purest delight? And is this not a loss quite enough? See, without a relationship with God, a right relationship with God, we have no ability for lasting joy. We might have temporary fleeting moments that make us smile, but something eternal and lasting? No, it's impossible. It's impossible because we are disconnected from the eternal source of joy. Because our sin has broken the bridge to lasting joy. And if God is the origin of joy, then our sin has broken that connection with the source of everlasting joy. That's what makes the angel's declaration in Luke 2 so staggering. See, if you don't read Luke 2 in light of what I've just said, you just read the story about a baby in a manger and you don't recognize the phrase... Good news of great joy for all the people. Because if you don't know what was lost, you never know what was found. So let's look at the coming of joy. Notice with me again the angel's words in Luke chapter 2. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Now just, just for a moment, realize what we're getting right here. I mean, this is, a, this is an amazing thought. You have an angel who resides in the presence of God, where there are, there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, coming to earth to declare great joy is on its way. In other words, if anybody knows what great joy looks like, the angel is it. Would you not agree? The, he would it. It would be similar to a citizen of Texas coming to Oregon to show all of us what freedom really looks like. Now, as a Texan, I can say that, right? <laughs> what this angel knows and experiences of joy is something that we all long for. And he comes to declare good news of great joy for all the people because he knows what joy looks like and he knows that joy is coming. Now, again, 
If you've been with us in the study, you recognize when we studied hope and we studied peace, we saw that both of those were connected to the person of Christ. Notice what this angel says. The good news of great joy is found in a person. It's not in a state of mind. It's not in a right moment when all the stars have aligned. It's not found in making sure you smile every day just to kind of, you know, make sure you kind of perk somebody up. For some of you, it would be a good practice to smile once a day. Once a day would be good for some of you. Twice would be a stretch, but you get the point. It's not found in speaking mantras or declarations that we write on our mirror to somehow puff ourselves up and get ourselves going in the day. No, what the angel says is joy is found in a person and his name is Christ the Lord. See, the indication of this angelic statement is that with the coming of the Savior, There is the coming of great joy. The very thing we lost in the Garden of Eden because of our sin. The very thing we have longed for to find, we've longed to find since the day we first ate of the forbidden fruit. And the angel says, that great joy is coming with Christ. It's coming with a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. So so how, how can this baby, this Savior, Christ the Lord... Be good news of great joy for all the people. Meaning, how can that even happen for us in this room? And it's a huge question that luckily the Bible gives us great answers for. Because if sin severed the bridge that separated us from God, separated us from the source of lasting joy, then according to the Bible, Jesus Christ restored that bridge completely. Making a way for us to be restored to God who is our source of everlasting joy. Way better than Heimdall, way better than Thor. Jesus perfectly obeyed God for us as a human. Like Adam before us, he represented God before, before, he represented us before God. But unlike Adam, Christ never ate the forbidden fruit. Never sinned against God. Perfectly obeyed God. And innocently, he took the guilt and punishment that we deserved. The only way to restore our relationship with God or to repair the proverbial bridge that we've been talking about with God is by a sacrificial human death in our place. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cruel Roman cross. And in that moment when he died, he uttered something staggering in Mark chapter 15. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's in that moment when he took our sin as if it was his own, Jesus stepped into our joyless existence to be forsaken by God. It's the only moment in the history of the Godhead all the way back from before time ever began that God the Father and God the Son had a separation of their delight. Our sin was placed on Christ and it caused the Father, God the Father, to turn his face away from his only beloved Son, Jesus took our joyless existence to the cross 
in our sin and died in our place, the death that we deserved. We, we, we deserve to be eternally separated from God and forsaken by God. But Jesus took that for us. And after he died, he was placed in a tomb. Three days later, rose again, proving that all he did in his life and his death, that God accepted. And anyone from any part of the world, all the people who trust in Jesus as their Savior and King, can be restored to God and restored to the source of everlasting joy. See, Jesus Christ came as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes on a mission. On a mission. And the mission is to restore us to God and to be the good news of great joy for all the people. At the center of his life stands the cross. Now this restoration, this work of Christ, made the way for our relationship with God to be restored. And in doing so, listen clearly, Jesus made a way for our lasting joy to be restored. Remember, if joy was lost when sin entered the room, then joy is restored when Christ shows up. And aren't you glad he did? See, do do you see the big idea hovering in this sermon? Jesus' birth is the dawn of eternal joy for all who put their trust in him. Do you see it? The coming of great joy to all people is Christ. He's the only one who can restore us to eternal joy. He's the only one. So let's, let's just take a moment... A little bit longer, just to look at then the pathway of joy, up to lasting joy. How, how, do we, how do we get here? And we've got to start by, by recognizing that, that, that without faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior and King, it is impossible to have lasting joy. We've got to start with trusting Christ. Friends, listen, the way to God has been opened through Jesus. The way to being restored to your humanity, who you're really made to be, to live as God intended you, is through Christ. We must start here. As Kevin DeYoung has said so well, yes, indeed, there are many ways to God, but there's only one that leads to a pleasant encounter with Him. And it's Christ. We must start there. The pathway to eternal joy begins by placing our trust in Jesus. See, joy begins here. Because it's through Christ that we're forgiven of our sin. All of it. Past, present, and future. It's through Christ that we're declared right with God. No longer standing in condemnation before Him, but being able to stand in the righteousness of Christ. It's through Christ that heaven has opened up to us that we can one day hear our Father say, Enter into the joy of your Master. See, Jesus took our joyless existence to the cross for us, so that he could restore the source of eternal joy to us. So you understand, right, that Jesus was forsaken by God so that you, by faith, would never have to be forsaken another day of your life. And for all of eternity, God's face is turned toward you because Christ 
had God's face turned away from him for one moment. He died without the joy of God so that we could have our joy restored in God. Jesus told us something fascinating in Luke chapter 10, that joy doesn't come by doing something miraculous. It comes by knowing that we're right with God and that God knows our name. So listen, if you haven't trusted Christ, you have no hope of lasting joy. So we, we would challenge you, we, we would stir you, we'd encourage you, turn to Christ. Trust Christ. Randy Alcorn put it like this, joy, exaltation, and happiness are proper responses to Jesus and the gospel, which tells us that in Christ we are created by God, loved by Him, redeemed, and dwelt with, and empowered by His Spirit, and assured of an eternally happy and abundant life in His presence. What happiness is ours? That's why a gospel not characterized by overwhelming gladness isn't the gospel. A Christmas time without a deep God-given happiness isn't reflecting the good news of Jesus. So listen, turn, turn to Christ. In Christ, you, you will find all the joy you could possibly imagine. But, but next to trusting Christ, and you may say, I'm a believer, I, I trust Christ, but I, I still struggle with joy. Then the next one would be, right next to it is treasure Christ. See, seeing and believing that Jesus is the source of eternal joy and then beginning to learn to treasure him. Here, here's a thought that might surprise you. But are you aware that when Jesus was on the earth that he was the most joyful person in any room he walked into? Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this really fascinating thought. It says that God anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness more than all of his companions. Meaning, any room that Jesus went into, he lit up. He was the life of the party. It's intriguing, isn't it, that if you look at his life, his very first miracle was where? At a wedding celebration. Isn't that fascinating? They're celebrating, and he decides to turn water into wine, and all of us who enjoy wine would say, Amen, God bless Jesus for doing that. It is a moment of celebration. But also his most famous teaching... The Sermon on the Mount begins with what we call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes always start with a little word. Blessed are those. And the word blessed means happy are those. Joyful are those. Eternally satisfied are those. In other words, what you notice about Jesus is throughout his life and ministry, he was the happiest person to be around. Even in his death, according to Hebrews 12.2, it says... For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. This joy set before him was knowing that he was completing the Father's work for restoration. And this momentary forsaking would eventually lead to him being restored to the Father's face. While he was forsaken in sorrow, his joy was to do the will of the one who sent him. John Piper, who probably wrote on God's happiness more than any current theologian today, wrote this about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the happiest being in the universe. Do you see him like that? He, his gladness is greater than all the angelic gladness in heaven. He mirrors perfectly the infinite, holy, indomitable joy of his father. 
See, do you, do you see Jesus like this? Do you see God as the God in heaven who the Bible says in Zephaniah that he rejoices over you with loud singing? Is that how you see this Christ? See, this is what causes you to treasure him. Because you see, he is the source of eternal joy because he is the happiest being in eternality. From beginning, from the end to the beginning, he's the happiest being in the universe. So look to Christ, treasure Christ. So here we got trust Christ, we have treasure Christ. Let me give you one last one as the pathway. Obey Christ. Let me just be frank with you. You cannot obey Christ without trusting Christ. You cannot obey Christ without the power of Christ. Now you'll remember in our study this morning that we saw that sin dominated the human heart the moment Adam ate the fruit. But when Christ died for us, that moment he destroyed sin's domination over the human heart. And when he rose from the dead, he gave us life to obey him. And in doing so, what he did was this. He gave us the weapons that we need to receive God's joy and to obey God to find more lasting joy. See, obedience to God through the power of Christ brings us joy, brings us delight. We saw the opposite of this with Cain, didn't we? You could also see the opposite of it with Judas Iscariot. Another case study you could look at is the Apostle Peter. Remember when Peter denied Christ after the very last denial? We're told that his eyes caught Jesus' eyes, and it says, And Peter wept bitterly. But in Christ, what do you see different? You see the, the smile of God and joy of God eternally. Christ restored to us the power and the ability to obey God and in turn restored our ability to receive God's joy for obeying Him. This is why in, in the Bible we read a few times commands to either rejoice in the Lord or rejoice always. See, God gives you a command knowing that without His power you can't obey it. But if you're in Christ... You have the power to obey that command. And 1 Thessalonians 5 takes it so far as to say this, Rejoice always, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you want to know what God's will is for your life, what you're to do, well, guess what? Rejoice always is it. You don't have to question that anymore. And in Christ, we have been restored to have that ability. We can rejoice always, and we can rejoice in the Lord. But notice something fascinating about this joy. What, what kind of joy is this? John chapter 15 is a famous text in the Bible <clears throat> about abiding in Christ as a source of our life. In that text, we read that if we abide in Christ and he abides in us, we will bear much fruit and we will glorify God. But notice something fascinating in verses 10 and 11. It's when Jesus said that when we abide in his love... We do this, we keep his commandments or his rules or we obey him. And then notice verses, verse 11. I'm telling you these things. What things? I'm telling you how to bear fruit. I'm telling you to abide in me. I'm telling you to obey me. I'm telling you these things. Listen, listen clearly now. So that, so that my, my joy, Jesus' joy, Jesus' joy may be in you may, may be in you, and it may be full. In, in other words, I mean, 
Go back to the origin of joy. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Eternally joyful, happy, satisfied with themselves. That joy can be in you as you obey God in the power of Christ. That, that is startling news. And you can see in this moment how we come back full circle to the origin of joy. That God is the source of joy. He made us to be full of joy. Sin destroyed the pathway to joy. Christ restored the joy of our salvation. And we can once again be full of joy in Christ. I mean, do, do you see this? I mean, this is startling news. I mean, that's why John Piper would write this about joy, that the world knows nothing of this. Nothing. Our joy has infinite roots. And listen to this phrase. It is a participation in the very joy of God. See, here's... Now, I'm going to take that your dumbfounded looks means that you got it and you're shocked by what you just heard. Not, I don't get it, I just need to get louder, right? I mean, I think I got that, right? I mean, you're just like, what? The God, the God of the universe... The God of the universe would not just restore you in a relationship with him, not just forgive you of your sin, but actually grant to you what he made you for, which is to live in the joy in the Lord and the joy of the Lord that's found in the Godhead. And you will experience this for all of eternity. And it starts the moment you first believe. Treasure Christ, trust Christ, treasure Christ, obey Christ. See, here's what we've seen this morning. We've seen the origin of joy is God. We've seen the loss of joy is because of our sin. We've seen the coming of joy is Jesus. We've seen the pathway to joy is to trust Christ, treasure Christ, obey Christ. And do you see the big idea? Jesus' birth is the dawn of eternal joy for all who put their trust in him. Do you see it? So friends, listen, you, you can do some really quick checkpoints in your life. Maybe this morning you, you're here and you realize, man, I, I haven't had any kind of joy like this, and I realize I don't know Jesus. And this morning is a great time to put your trust in Christ. And as a church, we would call and just encourage you, believe in Jesus. Believe that he died for your sin, that God, that he rose again from the dead, and he's right now seated at God's right hand, and he's the only source of eternal joy for you. Trust Christ. But maybe you're a Christian and you're going, man, I, I haven't had this kind of joy that we're talking about today. Could I just ask you to maybe evaluate a couple things about that? Is Jesus your treasure chest of joy? Or is it your success, your bank account, your kids, your athletic achievements, your grades and your schoolwork? Is it something other? Is it the peace in your marriage? Maybe you also realize, you know, I'm seeing today that my lack of joy is because of just flat-out sin. I've disobeyed, and I know it. I got no joy. I'm sad all the time. I'm anxious and mad. I can't figure it out. And this morning, the Lord's telling you and calling you to just repent of your sin, to turn and say, God, I, I acknowledge my pride. I acknowledge my sin. But listen, there's another group of people I want to talk to this morning that's those of you that are believers that neither, you're, you've treasured Christ. You don't see any sin in your life. But Christmas time is hard for you because you lost some 
loved ones. <laughs> Maybe this year one of your parents died, a spouse passed away. And you've had a hard time navigating through this season because it's hard, it's sorrowful. And we've got to be real about it. What this sermon tells us is that your God, your God cares for you and sees you. He's with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you because his son was forsaken on your behalf. And he calls you to cast all your anxieties and fears and scares upon him because he cares for you. Friends, because of the gospel of Christ, joy can enter our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we we see so many areas in our hearts and lives where there's momentary fleeting joy. But Father, would you build in us a lasting joy I pray for my friends here that don't know Christ. Would you right now, Lord, turn their hearts to Jesus, cause them to trust Christ, to believe in the gospel of Christ. Help them to recognize that you came for them. And if that's you, listen, just turn your life right now and say, Jesus, I believe that you came for me. Forgive me of my sin. And then, Father, I pray for my Christian friends this morning that maybe they've, they've realized that they're just not treasuring you like they should. They're treasuring uh, some possession. They're treasuring um, a relationship. They're treasuring an activity. They're treasuring something other than Christ. And would you captivate their hearts with Christ? And if that's you this morning, maybe just turn that over to Christ. Just say, God, I realize Jesus has not been to me a treasure chest of joy. I've looked for other places to satisfy me. Or maybe you as a Christian have seen yourself in sin and you realize, man, this is, I got to deal with this. This is not right before God. And this morning we would just, I just ask you, just repent, just turn your heart to Christ. Confess your sin to him. He is faithful and just to forgive you. Father, we need you. We cannot produce joy in our hearts without you producing it in us. Would you help us? And most certainly we can't produce lasting joy. So turn our gaze to Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.